Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Um, for those of you that are astute, you'll notice I don't look like John or Daryl. It's true. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, they're not with us here today. Um, but we have some, some lovely surprises f- for you. You remember the story of the three wise men? Hey, the three wise men that brought gifts to Jesus on his birthday. Well, we only have three wise men in this, in this church. <laughs> and three wise men are going to be speaking today. <laughs> no, I believe we're all wise. But today, we, the surprise is we have three incredible young men that have uh, some gifts on their hearts that I want to impart to you guys. So I'd like you all just to put your hands together as we invite Moses onto stage. Thank you. Good morning, family. How are you today? You guys doing all right? Um, so I, the Lord has been speaking to me in this um, last season. Um, you guys know that Lerato and I, um, our family moved um, through to the West Rand earlier on this year, and uh, it's been a it's been a season of growth, something of transforming, reshaping, reforming, um, anchoring, stuff like that, all the good stuff. But the Lord has been talking to me about identity this last season. Then we're living in one of the most um, fatherless generations of our time. There's there's something on this generation that I feel will break spirit of fatherlessness. As As we carry the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and as we reunite the lost sons and daughters with their father, that will cause a transformation in our nation, but all around the world. Yeah? yeah? I think South Africa has a pivotal role to play in this next move of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? So, um, some of you are new. I know you don't know me. So, maybe let's, let me start by, by explaining who I am, right? You're like, who's this guy holding a mic? Where's John? Can we have John back? <laughs> um, my name is Moses Ratoro. My, govern- my government name is Moshe. That is the name that my father gave me. I was born Molefe. Molefe means heir. Uh, Moshe means drawn from the water. I'll get into that a little bit later on. But so in, in, in Genesis... So, who do you think my favorite uh, Bible character is? Just take a wild guess. Just take a wild guess. Hey, not Joshua, Moses. Joshua, what's this? <laughs> so, in, 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 in the book of Moses, I'm joking, in Genesis, we read about how, no, in Exodus, what am I saying? Moses. In Exodus, we read about how um, God saves an entire generation, generations in fact, right? And the nation of Israel. 
and and there's there's this one guy who plays a very pivotal role in in this um, salvation of this nation. His name is Moses. He's in a basket. They see him. The Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. They're like, hey, there's a thing suspicious. So they go investigate. And then it's Moses. Moses like, nah, nah, nah. And then they pick him out. And then she gives him a name. She gives him a name. She said, you are Moses. What did I say Moses means? Drawn out from the water. In Setswana, my name actually like bears a significance that I don't know I don't understand how that got to the Tswana people because when, when they say overseas, they say Moshama what? It's, just, it's weird. It's like, are you Hebrew? Maybe? I don't know. We can trace that later on. But so drawn out of the water, a, a very prophetic name. That name points towards Moses and his exploits in going to draw out the nation of Israel out of Egypt, right? But there's something even more profound about the name he was given. I believe it was a foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. So when Jesus calls his disciples, he says, I will make you what? Fishes of? What do you do when you're fishing? You are drawing things out from the water. I believe this generation is going to be the generation that truly embraces the ministry of Jesus Christ, of drawing people from this miserable existence where petrol prices are high <laughs> into a different reality where, your, where God is our provision. Right? There's something about this generation. And when I say this generation, I'm talking to everybody. I'm not talking to the millennials only. There's something about this generation that will break open long-standing ideals, long-standing traditions that have proved over and over to be fruit, fruitless. Yeah? How are, we going, how are we going to get there? So I want to read something from the Bible so that when John comes back, you can say, hey, that guy really did read the Bible. He wasn't just here fumbling and saying things that don't make sense. So Matthew 16, verse 13. We read about an exchange. Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, what is the word on the street? What do the people say? Who do the people say that I am? And they say, no, some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? See, I think we're moving into a time where this knowing about and not truly knowing will, ha will, will have to stop. We are moving into a season where it's about a relationship that is... So here's the thing. If I'm walking in the mall, né, and I see my wife, Lerato, you know Lerato, that pretty little thing that was here just now. Lerato, and, 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 and I see my wife, and I say, hey, love, what are you doing here? She says, I don't know you. Kind of weird. Because I know her. Like, I really know her. 
I know her, guys. <laughs> no, legit, like, I know her. I, like the, I can tell you the birthmarks where they are at. I can tell you. No, I know her. So she cannot deny me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? It's wonderful. This like blew my mind when I discovered this. And Simon says, uh, uh, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the one true God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven, yeah? Guys, when we worship, mm, yo, Moses, don't, okay. So when we worship, we worship from a place of the revelation of the Son of God. See, when, when we say, worthy you are, worthy you are, and, and, and you have not seen so hard to connect with those words. The word says, I have tasted and I have seen. We're moving into a season where we bring in the real thing, the genuine thing. Because the world is full of counterfeits. That clock, guys. John was not lying. That thing is broken. <laughs> We're moving into a, a season that requires us to bring only the genuine thing. We cannot bring fake things anymore. We cannot bring counterfeits anymore. We cannot operate in counterfeits anymore. Yeah? So let's, let's read a little bit um, further down. Um, in, in verse 18, Jesus says to, um, to, 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 to his disciples, Peter, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the what? Okay, so let's, let's, let's dissect this real quick. Do, do gates move? No, gates are stationary, right? Unless if you have one of these things, you know what I'm talking about. And then it, and then you can, but gates don't generally come or move. They're stationary things. So when the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against us, they, it means that there's a movement of a people that will offend these gates. Right? Plunder hell. Yeah? We, the church has always been an offensive organization, organism, structure, whatever you want to call it. The church has ne the church can never be passive. I mean, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. So how can we stand still? So where there is injustice, he is just. And we are a representation of who? Him, right? Listen to this wonderful verse. So um, verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you lose, on earth is loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind in heaven is, you understand? You understand? There's a, there's a, there's a, a time where the church was in motion and we were doing things. 
just to, to be part of whatever. But now, now, today, this season requires us to be on the, on the move, on the front foot. We cannot stay stationary. We cannot remain stationary. The world is offering counterfeits. Do you have the real thing? Do you have the real thing? You sound very unsure. Do you have the real thing? Yeah. We can attend all of the conferences, and conferences are great, but it's only when we act it out. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done over the years in our lives leading up to this moment. Father, we ask for boldness to come upon your children. Yeah, ask for a spirit of boldness and an activation for us to move into this new season with the power and vigor of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thank you, Moses. Profound. I think what stood out for me as I did the first service is that you know, Peter, Jesus is asking Peter, who do you think I am? And the same question to you. Who do you think Jesus is? As he said, if we don't have a proper identity of who Christ is, we'll never be able to connect with him. So thanks for that, Moses. Really appreciate that. So who's the next of the wise men? Well, Mr. Stephen Perks is our next wise man. So please give him a hand as he comes on. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Moses read some scripture. I brought an actual Bible. Just for the camera, you know. Um, yeah, but before I, before I start, um, I know John and Daryl are not here, but I really want to honor them and the sort of what they've given into my life and the role that they've played in my life over the over the many years. Um, John, I've known since I was born, basically, and Daryl for at least 15 years. So, yeah, it's been it's a real privilege to stand here and to be able to share with you guys um, what I believe the Lord is saying to us. But yeah, a real honor for them as the as the leaders of this house. Um, so I want to I want to speak to you about God's faithfulness. And Moses was talking about, you know, we've got to be on the front foot, and we've got these these calls and plans for our life, and God has called us, and you know, we are supposed to be advancing, but how can we know that these things are going to come to pass? How can we trust in those things? And that's what I want to share with us this morning. And I want to share out of the life of Abraham, who probably is the epitome of trusting in God, so much so that it says, you know, that it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God so much that it was credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham had sort of four big encounters with God. In Genesis 12, it says, God says to, to Abraham, go. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later, but just go. And then 
God says, I'll give you a land and I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham says, where? He says, I'll tell you later. Just go. Um, and then he says, I'll give you a son. And Abraham's very old at this stage. He says, when? You know, I'm supposed to be a great nation. Can't be a nation without a, a son. And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. And then all of those promises come true, or that promise comes true, and, and Isaac is born, and he's given a son, and Abraham can see the promise taking place. And God says to Abraham, go and kill your son. Kill the promise. Kill this, the, the very thing that you are holding on to. And Abraham says, why? And he says, I'll tell you later. Just go. Walk up the mountain. Take the fire. Take the wood and go. And in every one of these circumstances, what's amazing is that Abraham trusted in God and did what God said. I mean, this is a guy who, yeah, he, he really does epitomize trust in the Lord. Um, and it gives us a clue in Genesis 15 as to how he did this. And it says that he believed the Lord. He didn't just believe in the Lord. He believed the Lord. And so often we can believe in the Lord, but we don't always believe the Lord. We don't always believe what he says. And no matter what the circumstances, we need to believe the Lord. So in Hebrews 6 and verse 13, it actually talks about Genesis 15. And it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And then in verse 18 it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And this is talking about a, a, an anchor for the soul, this hope. The hope set before us is going to be like an anchor to our soul. So what is an anchor? An anchor is something that keeps a boat stable. So a boat can be on water, and the water, the tides and the, and the flows can move the boat around. And the only hope that the boat has of staying in one spot is to let its anchor down into the rock. That's the only hope it has for staying stable. And if it puts its anchor in the water, it's going to still move around with the water. It's got to get the anchor into the rock. So what is an anchor for your soul? What is it in this context of in your soul? Well, some of us, you know, put our hope and our trust in many, many things, our talents, our jobs, our spouse, our friends, and all of that is water. Everything except the promise of God is water. We have to get our anchor into the rock below the water, and Abraham was able to do that. He was able to sink his anchor so deep into the rock that whatever the circumstance was, he was able to trust God, he was able to believe God. And in a little bit in, uh, in Genesis 15, because I think this is, this is not a 
very well-known encounter with, uh, with God that Abraham has with God, but it's such a profound picture of how God helps him get his anchor deep, because I don't think we can do this on our own. We have to let God help us. So God calls him out of the tent and says, go look at the sky. Look at all the stars. Try and count them. That's how, num- how numerous your descendants will be, as many as the stars in the sky. And, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a land. And Abraham asks something that's so relatable to well, certainly to me, hopefully to you. But he asked, but how will I know? How do I know that what you're telling me now is actually true, is actually real? Because if, if I know, then I can believe in it. If I know, then I can trust in it. And God does something uh, really powerful. So I'm going to paraphrase because we don't have time. But, but basically what happens is Abraham asks, how do I know and, and God says, go get some heifers, some goats, some birds. And Abraham goes and gets the heifers, goats, birds, and he cuts them in two, only the animals, not the birds. And he lays them out on the, I don't know what he did with the birds, it doesn't say. But he lays the animals out in, in two parts. So he literally cuts them in half and lays the pieces out. God didn't tell him to cut them in half. So how did he know that he must cut them in half? This has to do with making covenants and signing contracts in the old days. So, you know, you can imagine at a wedding today, you stand at the altar and you say to your, to your spouse, um, you know, I promise to love you through thick and thin. I promise to always be there. But someone can ask, but how will I know that these are not just words? We go to the back and we sign a contract that has legal uh, consequences if we break our word, right? That's how we know. It's not just words. We've actually got a legal document that is a contract. This is how they did contracts in the old days, certainly contracts of big importance. They used to take animals, cut them in half, lay the pieces out on on the ground, and they used to walk through the animals, through the pieces, together. So I'm making a contract. This other person's making a contract. I don't think they did it for weddings, so don't worry. It's not, it wasn't some weird wedding ritual. It's more like in the, in the legal contract sense. But they used to walk through the pieces and they used to say, if I break my word, this is what you can do to me. I give you permission that if I break my word, you can cut me in half. You can kill me. And the other person would say, I, I say the same. If I break my part of the covenant you can kill me. You can cut me in half. And you can go read about this in your own time in Jeremiah 34. It talks about this. Um, So Abraham knows that he and God are about to make a covenant, right? So how do I know that this is all going to come true? God says, go fetch some heifers. And Abraham says, oh, we're going to make a covenant now. So he goes and gets them, cuts them in half. But then God does two two things. One, he causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep, and he gives him some even more prophetic words. And then it says that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the pieces. Now, this is the same two words, the smoking fire pot, the flaming 
flaming torch that's used to describe God's presence in the wilderness when the fire and the cloud, and also the flaming sort of thunderous presence on the top of Mount Sinai. So it's the same word. So this is representing God's presence. So God actually physically in his presence walks through the pieces of the, of the covenant that Abraham has cut. And, you know, sometimes we have two main problems with trusting God. The one is, you know, when we say, how do I know? It's, how do I know that you're going to keep your end of the bargain? And God comes and he walks through the pieces of the, of the sacrifice. And he says, if I break my word, I give you permission to kill me. I will not break my word, says, says God. You can give me, you can give, you have permission to kill me. But then, if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us don't really believe that God's going to be the one to break his part of the bargain. Most of us have the question, how do I know that when, when I break my part of the bargain, you're not going to be done with me? You're not going to cast me aside? You're not going to force me to die? That's scary. You know, when I fail, what happens then? And God causes Abraham to fall asleep, and he walks on his own through the pieces. And he says, if I break my word, you can kill me. And if you break your word, you can kill me. I will take your part of the bargain, and I'll put it on myself. And I will take the consequences of, of your actions. And, and he did. He died on the cross because of our sin. And he takes it all. So when Abraham asks, how will I know? This is how he knows and how he can trust God because God shows him in a covenant and actually makes a covenant with him where he says, I will take both sides of the covenant on myself. It says in Hebrews, we read it earlier, God cannot lie. He swore by himself because there was no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. And the question I have for us today is, do we just believe in God, or do we believe God? Do we really believe God, that his promises, that we have this hope set before us? Are we putting that hope as an anchor deep into the rock, or are we just putting it in the water? Are we sinking that anchor deep? You know, the enemy very rarely comes and says, you know, is God real? I think we all, you know, we're all church-going people. We know God is real. It's a silly, a silly question to ask if, if you're the devil, right? But he doesn't do that. He, he comes and he questions our belief of, of his word. He says, did God really say that? Did he really say that? I know you believe in God. Fine. Do you believe God? Do you? Did he really say that? And that is rooted in hopelessness, because then we start to get hopeless. But we have to get hope. So how do we get hope? Well, the first way is we can be honest with God. We can ask him. You know, Abraham was not a perfect, a perfect person. Yes, it was counted to him as righteousness, one of the legends of the Bible. But this man, like, almost sold his sister or his wife as a sister to the king of Egypt at one stage. Not a perfect guy, <laughs> you know? He had a lot of flaws. Um, he asks, how do I know? This is God speaking to him audibly, probably, 
You know, go look at the stars. He has multiple encounters with the living God. He still asks, but how will I really know? It's okay to be honest with God and ask him, how will I know? Because then he comes and shows you. You know, the centurion that comes to Jesus and says, heal my, heal my child. Jesus doesn't cast him out and say, you know, because he says, do you believe? He says, yes, I believe, but I've also got like a bit of an unbelief problem as well. Jesus doesn't say, well, go and deal with your unbelief and then come back and I'll heal your child. He just says, I'll go, your child is healed. He is so gracious with us. Um, and then the second way, I believe, is we have to have a revelation of Jesus. It's what Moses was talking about. The best anchor is the gospel. And that is exactly what Genesis 15 is. It's the, one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus Christ first, everything else falls into place. And it's not about intellectual arguments. It's not a gospel of facts. We actually have to know him in order to get the revelation. It's not about facts. Yes, all the facts and, you know, more than a carpenter and all of those books are actually really great. I really enjoy the factual side. I'm a little bit of an intellectual, like I like that, that logic. But that doesn't help get your anchor deep. That's just in the water. We have to sink it deep by getting a revelation of him. We have to understand that when he makes a covenant with us, he, does, he takes both sides of the covenant onto himself. And he says, if you break your word, I will pay the price. Now, what, a, what an amazing God. Um, he actually doesn't say, I've come to give you a reward. He says, I come to be your reward. It's him. He is our only hope. And he wants our hearts. Yes, he wants the mind and the soul and all of that. But he wants our hearts. It's about how do we trust in him. That's really important. So hopefully you've challenged, you've been challenged. Um, but yeah, let's put our, let's not just believe in God. Let's believe God for the promises that he has. Let's put that anchor deep into the rock. Uh, trust God. And then, like we were singing this morning, you know, our, our, we are strong because our hope is in you, and then we can run. Um, so, yeah, bless you guys. Thanks, Steve. That was fantastic. Um, you wouldn't realize that none of us actually spoke before the service, but there's obviously a clear theme running through this all. It's just about a, your identity in Christ and how much he loves you, how much Jesus loves you. As, as I spoke earlier about his love and walking ankle deep, and then, we, then we hear about the wallet and then identity. Who does Jesus, who do you think you are? Where's your hope? Where's your hope this morning? Our God of hope is in all things, at all times, for all things that you need him for. And now we bring up the third and last wise man, Vili Oestes. And if you put your hands together for him, please. Morning, morning. So I've got this thing. It makes me look professional. My wife says you can take Vili out of the bush, but you can't get the bush out of Vili. It's a problem. But anyway, so I look professional with this thing. So I'm not going to do scriptures. We don't have time. But I want to talk about empowerment. So we heard about identity, faith, hope. Now we're going to look at empowerment. And I'm going to look at the life of Gideon. So the angel comes to him and he says to him two things I want to focus at. The first thing is, go in this might of yours. 
And then he says to him, you will strike the Midianites as one man. Now the Bible says there were as many as the locusts. What a word. You're going to strike them as one man. That's a powerful prophetic word. And so we get many prophetic words. And we've got words of destiny and we want to start the journey. But the Bible says, the Lord spoke to him and said, there's something in your house. There's something in your family that you need to tear down. There's something you've got to cut down. But this is the thing. The problem wasn't really the Midianites. The problem was that thing in the house, that altar of Baal, that compromising, that idol worship was the problem. And he would not have gone any distance at all with his prophetic word. He would not have had any victory if he did not first cut down that thing and rebuild God's altar. But what does the Bible say to us? It says the weapons of our warfare is mighty. Hallelujah. Go in this might of yours. The weapons of our warfare, it's mighty to do what? To cast down, to pull down, to rebuild, to bring things into obedience. The Bible says God strengthens us with might in the inner man. Amen. So let me tell you a story. So the first time I gave a prophetic word to a church, I started shaking after the word. Man, it was crazy. I started shaking so much. I thought I'm going to pass out. So I said to Trudy, this is not working for me. I'm going to give words to people and just pass out. What is this? What is this anointing? What is this power? I don't know what it is. It's just crazy. So the next day, the, the very next day, I was on the wonderful roads of South Africa. And something happened. I don't know what. I deleted it from my mind. I believe that in counseling it can be fixed. But I do know that I responded like the devil would. And I fell from Holy Ghost anointing cloud 10 through all the clouds. Doof! And I believe my holes is still in the ground there where that happened. Gone was the anointing. Gone everything. And I heard the Lord say, there's something you need to tear down. There's something you got to rebuild. Amen. The good news is the weapons of our warfare, they are mighty. Let me tell you another story. So I like these times of being alone. I don't know. Maybe there's more like me here in this, in this church this morning. I just like being alone, being with the Lord, being in the Word. I just like those times of consecration. And then the Lord sends people. And you know, you've got all these prophetic words over your life. And Trudy said to me, we've got a problem. I said, what's the problem? She said, it's you. It's your attitude towards people. You've got all these words like, like Gideon. Go strike the Midianites. But here's a problem here. I said, oh my goodness. She said, you aren't going to go far with this attitude towards people. Can you believe it? I thought I loved people. But anyway, she's like, no, we've got a problem here. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, what do you do? You know, Gideon did not wake up the next morning with muscles like, 
or what, like, I don't know, there's many DC characters out there. I mean, the Bible says he was scared twice. He tore down that altar at night, but yet the word of the Lord was what? Go in this might of yours. Maybe you're not feeling strong this morning. Maybe you're feeling, how am I going to do this? Maybe you're feeling, how am, am I ever going to change? There's another word. The Lord mightily anoints you. Go in this might of yours. I don't know what you are facing. Maybe you just need to trust the Lord again. To speak to mountains. Just to trust again. They will move when you speak. The word of the Lord for you is go in this might of yours. You know, Paul and Silas, in prison, they were praising God. In pain. You, do you think we're born like that? You've got to build this thing. You've got to learn how to praise God in pain. We have to learn how to praise God in prisons. We're not born like this. We've got to learn how to rejoice at all times. Your life needs, needs an altar, altar witness. They have conquered. They have conquered. They have changed. Hallelujah. They've built something new. I've brought in things into obedience. What is an altar? It's a place of, of, of submissiveness. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of obedience. It's a place where we have a testimony of something else that happened in our lives. Maybe somebody told you, you'll never change you. Well, tell that voice, just stand one side. The Lord says to you this morning, go. In this might of yours. Maybe the enemy told you your family will never change. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Go in this might of yours. You know what? It's sometimes difficult to tear down something. I've had weeks where I'm tearing down. Fasting is a strange thing. I'm going into a fast, the Lord says, do for me a nice long fast. I'm like, okay, now, something's up. So, oh, Lord, something's up. Here's coming a big fast. The first three, four days of the fast, the Lord's just telling, this has got to change in you. This has got to change in you. This has got to change. I said to Trudy, you, this fasting thing, it's, it's frightening. When you get out of there, the Lord told, told me 10 things I need to change. I wanted to see angels and kill the Midianites and what, what. I came out of that thing. You've got to tear down this, rebuild this, tear down this, rebuild this. Hallelujah, it's possible. But it takes time and sometimes difficult to tear down something. Sometimes you've got to be in prayer for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. But let me tell you, when he tore down and cut down that image, the Bible says the wood of that image became the fuel for the fire. Hallelujah. You're tearing down. You're feeling, oh, this is tough tearing down. Just hang in there. It will become the fuel for God's fire in your life. Hallelujah. Amen. So this is the word for you this morning. Go in this might of yours. Doesn't matter what you are facing. Hear this word this morning. Go in this might of yours. You can do this. We can do this. Amen. We can do this. Hallelujah. So I just want to they call it land, <laughs> the service. I call it capture. Amen. Let's just give some time for ministry. 
If there's anybody this morning that feels, yo, Lord, I want to experience your power. I want to experience your empowering. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at what you're feeling. God does this inside of you. Amen. Anybody that feels maybe they feel like, I need refreshment. I've been through a bitter place. God, thank you for sweetness, but thank you that you bring me to a place of refreshment. I just want to rest in you a little bit. Amen. Anybody like that, we're going to give some time for ministry. You can come forward. Maybe, Donovan, there's a few more words you want to add. But let's just do a prayer while we are just waiting for him. Let's just do a prayer together. Thank you, Jesus, for how you directed this service. Thank you that you give us identity. Thank you that you stir our faith. Thank you that you give us hope in the midst of troubling circumstances. You give us hope, hope in your word, hope in you. Thank you, Lord, that you empower us, that you strengthen us. Thank you, Lord, that you're busy in our lives. Even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it, you are busy. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful name.